Freedom is not that interesting in black America. What's interesting is this enormous power that befell us in the 60s when America owned up to, to its past. The events of the past year have elevated the national conversation around race to degrees of tumult not seen for a generation. Our guest today is no stranger to those conversations and has been a key figure in the scholarship of race relations for decades, Shelby Steele. A renowned author, columnist, and documentary filmmaker, Steele is an advocate for individual freedom and liberty and has been a strong proponent of the civil rights movement of the 1960s for just this reason. That movement, which was focused on the individual, has been perverted, he says, by a move toward government dependence. Welfare and affirmative action programs have only furthered racial divides. He argues these beliefs in his writing, including the popular book, White Guilt, How Blacks and Whites Together Destroyed the Promise of the Civil Rights Era. Now a senior fellow at the Hoover Institution, Steele recently produced a documentary in collaboration with his son, filmmaker Eli Steele, titled What Killed Michael Brown? It's an investigation into the 2014 Ferguson, Missouri shooting, just as George Floyd's death rocked the nation. At the time of this recording, Steele was embroiled in a controversy with Amazon over the release of the film. Without any clear basis for their decision, Amazon had refused to distribute the documentary. There have since been new developments in the story, so we'll have to wait to see how it all plays out in the end. In our conversation, Shelby details his struggles with Amazon and the journey he has gone through to get this important film made. Steele and I also discuss the rise of the Black Lives Matter movement and organization and the reasons President Trump and his supporters are so often labeled racist. Hey, hey, and welcome. This is the Ben Shapiro Show Sunday Special. We're so pleased to welcome Professor Shelby Steele. The only way to get access to the end of our conversation, we do bonus questions at the end. The only way to get access to that part of the conversation is to become a member. Head on over to dailywire.com, become a member. You'll have access to all of the full conversations with every one of our awesome guests. Shelby Steele, thanks so much for joining the show. Really appreciate it. Well, thanks so much for having me. So for folks who don't know your background, maybe you can talk a little bit about your transformation on issues of race, because when you were younger, uh, you really were, were more of a racial radical. Uh, you talk in, in many of your books about you know, your views on race and how they've morphed over time. Maybe you can talk a little bit about that journey. I was born into a civil rights family. My, my parents uh, met uh, as founding members of CORE, Congress of Racial Equality, in Chicago in the 40s. Uh, so I, I was a CORE baby. I sort of grew up in the civil rights uh, milieu, that world, demonstrations and so forth. And I went on demonstrations as a toddler. Um, and so that, that was, I was always aware of the issue of race. And this was, again, when I was a kid, was deep segregation uh, everywhere across America. Uh, and so I, I had, was, was very was very aware of that. And um, by the time I got to college, black power had begun to emerge. Uh, blacks had taken on a new militancy. And I identified with that, and I still do. Um, I, you know, Patrick Henry is my ultimate hero. Give me liberty or give me death. And if you won't allow me in, and I can't come to the table, and I can't play with, every, with everyone else, uh, then I will. I'll, then it's revolution time, uh, and so I I got to that uh, in the late '60s. Uh, I was the leader of my student uh, black student union in my college, and we took over the president's office, and we uh, we did all the things that that militant students did 
back in that era. Um, I won't go march you through all of the, the, the details, but um, I graduated from college. I went to work in the inner city when, in a government-sponsored uh, program, poverty programs. They were everywhere. I worked in about three or four of them uh, for about three, three or four years. Uh, I began to see corruption. I began to see uh, people uh, using the circumstance of poverty uh, as a means to personal ends. And people started to come to work in Mercedes-Benz and to, our, to the poverty program. Um, that was my, by the time I left there, I had pretty much lost my innocence uh, regarding poverty work. And I went to graduate school and began to live a much more traditional life uh, uh, from there. Uh, but I began to feel that the militancy was hurting us more than helping us. Uh, it's, it's very good to have a very strong commitment to one's identity, uh, one's group identity, and, and, um, and to be proud and, and all that sort of thing. Um, but that's not an end. That's, that's, that's good, uh, but you have to become competitive in the modern world. Uh, otherwise, you will languish in poverty no matter what your identity is. Uh, and so it became clearer and clearer as I sort of marched through graduate school and, and uh, began my, my career as an academic um, that you, it, was, it was time to grow up and to join uh, America rather than, than fight America, that my future really was with America. Um, and also by this time, one very important thing did happen. I call this the Great Confession. And that is that in the 60s, in the, in the mid-60s, when the Civil Rights Bill passed in 64, America effectively confessed to colluding for four centuries with a horrific evil of racism. But from President Johnson on down, America confessed to that in the 60s, owned up to it. And uh, I think it is the most transformative moment in all of American history by far, and we've only just begun to really understand the, the fallout from that confession, uh, the kind of pressures that's introduced into society white guilt certainly being, being one of them. Um, but I, 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 did be, I did become aware that, um, that America, this miraculous thing, was going to actually admit what they'd done and try to correct it. I don't know if that's ever happened anywhere else in all of the human, in human history. Uh, but it happened in America. And so I don't think we've given ourselves credit for that. Um, and, um, but I, I saw it, I saw a fundamental change and that change has only broadened and deepened since then. Uh, it is a very, we live in a very different world today. Uh, this is not a time for me to be blacker than thou and raise my fist. This is a time to get busy and start a business or go to school, get, get prepared to join the modern world and, and um, uh, live in a free democracy, an open society in, in which we can, we have now for the very first time, the opportunity to begin to live 
not as members of a race, a beleaguered race, but as individuals, as human beings who are free to pursue their aspirations as they wish. I feel very fortunate to have lived through this transformation from the dark days of segregation uh, to the America that, that is now wide open uh, before me. So in a second, I want to ask you why it is that while this transformation has occurred, and it's, it's obvious on every objective level that a transformation has occurred in American life, why it seems so hard for so many people to accept that a transformation has occurred. I want to ask you about that in just one second. First, is politics stressing you out? It's stressing me out. Also, my kids are stressing me out. And this is why I need a mattress made just for me. There's nobody on the planet like you. So why would you buy a generic mattress built for everyone else? Helix Sleep has a quiz. It takes just two minutes to complete. It matches your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress for you. Whether you're a side sleeper, a hot sleeper, whether you like a plush or a firm bed, with Helix, there's no more confusion and no more compromising. Helix Sleep is rated the number one mattress by GQ and Wired Magazine. CNN calls it the most comfortable mattress they've ever slept on. Just head on over to helixsleep.com slash Ben. Take their two-minute sleep quiz. They will match you to a customized mattress that gives you the best sleep of your life. They have a 10-year warranty. You get to try it out for 100 nights risk-free. They'll even pick it up for you if you don't love it, but you will. Helix is offering up to 200 bucks off all mattress orders for our listeners right now. Get up to 200 bucks off at helixsleep.com slash Ben. That is helixsleep.com slash Ben. It is the most comfortable mattress you've ever tried because it's made just for you. helixsleep.com slash Ben for up to 200 bucks off. So let's talk about the fact that America has obviously transformed. There's a major difference between America circa 1960 and America circa 2020. But the way that you hear so many people talk about America in 2020 is as though nothing has changed. Uh, you have uh, high-profile authors, well-regarded writers, uh, Pulitzer Prize winners like Nicole Hannah-Jones or, uh, or, or Ta-Nehisi Coates, you know, basically writing essays in which they talk about an atrocity that happened in 1915 and then immediately fast forward to 2020 and act as though there were no intervening events. How is it that, that that has become intellectually credible? It seems so perfectly obvious that things have radically changed since the 1960s. Racism is the worst sin in American life, and it is the thing that if you are called a racist, it can, it can literally finish your career, whether it's justified or not. I mean, that's how much Americans abhor racism at this point, and yet it is still treated, uh, the, the issue of racism is still treated as though it's systemic, as though most Americans secretly harbor racist feelings. And you've talked before about the shifting definition of, of racism itself. Maybe you can talk a little bit about why you think uh, racism is still considered such a major part of American life despite the transformational change. Okay, I'd be happy to. Um, for one reason, when there was this great confession that I mentioned and America owned up to its past and, and, and we created a war on poverty and we created all sorts of social programs, public housing, welfare, so forth, uh, the, what became clear, one of, one of the offshoots of that confession was that victimization, our victimization as blacks, our victimization uh, at the hands of broader America became our power. It was the first time in American history we had any, we had power to wield in American life because America itself had confessed. And so we had that moral authority for the first time uh, in American life. And it became our primary source of power in, uh, in, in society. We could, we could claim racism. And what could America say? They had already admitted to racism. And so it, it became, we began to believe 
And this is the tragedy of this. To that, that victimization be became our identity, became the center of who we are. If you want to make bla a, black, uh, a black person angry, tell them that they're not a victim. It's, un it's intolerable to hear that because, again, the idea that we are victims is our uh, entree to, to power and to, to American society. Hannah Jones at the New York Times is simply reinforcing the old uh, theory of vict black victimization as power. She's just saying, look at all of this victimization. Look at what you owe us. Look at what, how you must follow our lead. Morally, look at how immoral you were. And boy, that's a lot of power. It has transformed uh, our entire educational system. Uh, it's <laughs> we, political correctness. Uh, it's, had a it's had a tremendous Im impact. So even though we are now free, uh, freedom is not that interesting in black America. What's interesting is this enormous power that befell us in the 60s when America owned up to, to its past. And that's what we protect. Uh, and our, the entire grievance industry in America is based, is, is based on that. Uh, uh, you owe us. Uh, our victimization is our ticket to ride. It is our authority in American life. You have to come to us. One of the difficult things is to, is to tell a group that never had any power, suddenly they have a kind of moral power. It's difficult to accept that that moral power they now have is killing them, is hurting them. A uh, very difficult point to make. They, they look at me and they say, oh my God, that uh, you're giving up, uh, you're walking away from what we fought for. We've now finally have the power to Make universities get rid of the SAT test. We can we can uh, do all sorts of uh, of things that we never could do before, and and you want us to drop that? Um, well, I do because the it, the the thing about the thing about victimization as power is that you become your own enemy. You victimize yourself in the long run, and you get nowhere. And so after sixty years now of using victimization as power, black America is farther behind white America than we were in the 50s when I was a kid, when we were, when I was growing up. Uh, so this power of victimization has turned on us and, and is, is choking us uh, at this point. We're, and it breaks my heart to go to campuses, you see young black kids and they're all huddled off and they're, they're black power this and black power that and and Black Lives Matter and all that sort of uh, uh, struggling. You see, it's painful, it's struggling to keep victimization alive as power, as the power in the black community. So why do you think it is that so many members of the white community uh, have gone along with this? I mean, it would be one thing to say, you know, back in 1965, uh, that huge swaths of Americans had acknowledged their guilt because they had, in fact, been complicit in racism. I was born in 1984, so I was born 20 years after the Civil Rights Act. And uh, I, I frankly don't feel racial guilt because I don't believe that I've acted in uh, racially intolerant ways. But you see huge swaths of particularly young white Americans uh, who are going along with this and and browbeating and and browbeating others, engaging in Maoist struggle sessions in which they confess their own guilt for complicity in a systemically racist system. 
What, what do you think is the attraction for white Americans to go along with a narrative where they are inherently the victimizers? What happened in, to white America in, when, they, when America confessed its, its, its wrongdoing is that America endured at that moment a tremendous loss of moral authority. When you, and it's just human, when, when you confess, I did it all right, I'm sorry, whatever. Well, okay, now you will pay a price. Um, uh, and, and, that, that is, and that is what happened to white America, is that they, they were judged to be racist, they, they had colluded with evil, and so now they lived under the accusation that they were racist and that they had been a part of this. And so they may, they didn't, may have done absolutely nothing to justify uh, feeling guilty whatsoever. It's, white guilt uh, has no connection whatsoever to personal feelings. Uh, it, is a, it is a circumstance that you are living in a society that does not trust you, that has this against you, that holds this history against you. That, uh, and so what, do, what, what whites then have to struggle for and, and have since the 60s is their innocence of racism, of proving, oh, not me, I'm not a racist. Uh, and that, that need to prove um, is what blacks take advantage of. Uh, okay, then, then do this and do that and so forth and so on and change your curriculum here and, and uh, uh, start an HR pro, uh, uh, program there, have another, so forth and so on. Uh, and whites do it because they want that innocence. They want to be able to say, look, I supported affirmative action. I, I'm all for it. Let's, uh, let's, uh, I support diversity. Let's have different colored faces on, in everything we do. Uh, so that we can prove we are innocent of that historical accusation that we are evil racists. Anything, anything to get away from that. And so, you know, that one race begins to enable another race. We have a sort of a symbiotic connection. Uh, whites exploiting blacks all over again in order this time to capture, recapture some innocence and power. Uh, blacks sort of selling themselves out to guilty whites in order to, to have the illusion that victimization is, is their power and so forth. Uh, so it's a, it, it gets to be a kind of sad symbiosis that we are caught in, and uh, we never honestly talk about it, uh, but we're all nervous about it. We're all nervous <laughs> and... and <laughs> uh, we all hope for the best, I think. I, it, but it is history is powerful, um, and America is has a very unique history. We're far, far ahead of much of the mess, rest of the world in this regard. Um, but we we have a long way to go. It seems like there's a, something else that has happened here too, and that's not just that. Uh, there's an attempt by both you know, guilty whites and, uh, and, and some black Americans to push for particular policy prescriptions and sort of gimmies. Um, but there, there's something now that's going on that's completely, uh, I think, unprecedented, which is that you're only declared to be not racist for a certain period of time if you acknowledge your racism. So in other words, if you say as a white person, I'm not racist, I'm, I'm colorblind, and I, I see everybody as an individual, this is in fact used as evidence of your racism. 
Whereas if you then declare that you are in fact a racist by dint of the color of your skin and through racial essentialization, then you are not racist, but you are also racist because you just acknowledge that you're racist. So it's a complete catch-22. There's literally no way for white Americans to escape the charges of racism. Either you admit that you're a racist, in which case we say, okay, well, at least you were honest enough to admit you're a racist, but that means you're kind of a racist because you just admitted it, or you won't acknowledge your own racism, in which case we absolutely 100% know that you're a racist. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, and that power, the power to put whites in that position is what, is, is what black power is, is the power that comes from our, from our moral authority as victims, as historical victims. Uh, and so we enjoy sort of squeezing whites in, in, uh, in, this, in this, impossible, uh, this impossible circumstance. Uh, but it helps, it, again, it obviously, whites do not have at this moment in America, I'm speaking broad, broad terms here, whites do not have the moral confidence to resist this, to say, hey, call me a racist, whatever you want. I believe this. I stand by this. Uh, and I'll argue on the, on the terms of whatever it is I, I stand by. I'm not going to be blackmailed, intimidated uh, about, the, about simply being white and simply having a, a connection to people in the past who were also white uh, does not mean that I am evil uh, and that I am a racist. If you can't accept that, too bad. Whites simply do not in America have the moral confidence to do that, to say that. That's why we're stuck. When whites begin to rediscover their confidence and, and accept the fact that they are not racists uh, and that they want to treat everybody as individuals and they practice that, race problem will be over. Black power will be over. We'll have to take victimization and go home. It doesn't work anymore. Right now, it's just whites just, this morning, Amazon uh, canceled my, my, the film that I, I just am coming out with, uh, just as they gave $10 million to Black Lives Matter and other um, left-wing black groups. Uh, well, that's white guilt. They don't, they don't believe in the money that they gave. They don't, they have no, they don't care what they, they do with the, with the money. Uh, they are buying their own innocence. They're saying, our brand is not racist. If you give money to Shelby Steele or you just even put his, his, uh, uh, his film up on, on your platform, you're a bigot, you're a racist, you're a horrible person, um, so forth. Well, I suffer today from the lack of confidence that whites have. That now is a big problem in my life and in my work. I'm someone who grew up fighting against segregation. Now I'm fighting against it all over again. So in a second, I want to ask you about exactly that sort of turn where so many of the things of the past that were considered to be the, the beacons of hope, the things that we aspired to as a society have now become the obstacles, the, the enemies that we have to get rid of in pursuit of anti-racism in, in the uh, sort of pernicious definition of the Ibram Kendis and Robin DeAngelis. We'll get to that in just one second. First, it's Halloween this month. Policy Genius would like to mark the occasion by making something less scary, life insurance. Shopping for life insurance can seem like a daunting task, but Policy Genius makes it easy. They combine a cutting-edge insurance marketplace with help from licensed experts to save you time and save you money. Right now, 
You could save 50% or more by using Policy Genius to compare life insurance. When you're shopping for a policy that could last for more than a decade, the savings really do start to add up. Here's how it works. First, head on over to policygenius.com. In minutes, you can work out how much coverage you need and compare quotes from top insurers to find your best price. Policy Genius will compare policies starting at as little as $1 a day. You might even be eligible to skip that in-person medical exam. Once you apply, the Policy Genius team will handle all the paperwork and the red tape. The best part, they work for you, not the insurance company. So if you hit any speed bumps during the application process, they'll take care of everything for you. That kind of service has earned Policy Genius a five-star rating across over 1,600 reviews on Trustpilot and Google. So if you need life insurance, head on over to policygenius.com right now to get started. You could save 50% or more by comparing quotes. Policy Genius, when it comes to insurance, it's nice and very important to get it right. So let's talk about what you're uh, what you're referring to there with regard to, you know, the, the sort of fight against segregation. Again, it seems like there's so many of these ideals that were the purpose of the civil rights movement of the 40s and 50s and the, and the early 60s. Uh, the, these ideals that that we build you know, statues of Martin Luther King, not because we agree with his economic philosophies, but because specifically of his vision of individuals being treated as individuals. I mean, that that is that is what school children learn. It's why he deserves his own day. I mean, this is this is why people celebrate. Martin Luther King on a broad scale across the United States. And yet we have seen that the woke culture has pushed so far that individualism is now seen as a as a hallmark of white culture. Uh, There was a a display at the National Smithsonian uh, at the National Museum of African-American History in which they declared that aspects of white supremacy in American culture included things like being timely, uh, having a work ethic, uh, believing that you should that you should delay gratification, a belief in individualism, a belief in problem solving. Now, it seems to me that if you want anybody to succeed, these are just things that they need to engage in. But according to the Smithsonian and the National Museum of African-American History, these were aspects of, of white supremacy. And so we have to abolish all of our traditional notions of cause and effect of good behavior and bad behavior in pursuit of the belief that individual actions don't matter at all and all problems can be chalked up to broad societal discrimination. This is how desperate white institutional America is for innocence of racism. They will go to these lengths uh, to to advertise, to try to advertise their own innocence to the world. Um, These are people entire, as you say, probably have no personal guilt, whatever, and yet their their whole politics, their whole uh, orientation toward American life uh, is, is is, is around, again, victimization. Uh, and their their need for innocence, uh, they just will do anything to to reclaim uh, innocence. It, it is. Uh, I remember when I was in my black militant stage as a, as a kid in college, and I ran into a white man one night in a hotel lobby, and and uh, just for the heck of it, I told him that he should give me twenty five dollars right then and there, uh, because he was white and he was a racist and he needed to pay off. And, of course, he gave me about 40. Well, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's tempting. You know, the imagination goes wild. I could, I could really fan this into something and, and open up, put out a shingle. And innocence here, come in, you know, we got, we've got a sale today. Um, but it's not funny. It's tragic. And, and white America is, is lost to this. The, the young are just preoccupied with this, this idea of establishing their innocence of, of this evil. And 
people like Hannah Jones are just sort of smirking and smiling and and uh, pu- the, the puppeteer pulling pulling all the strings. Someday whites are going to wake up. God knows when. It, it is. I thought it would have happened by now. I thought they would have gotten tired of being jacked up like this, uh, but apparently not. Uh, so if you're in the if you're if you're trying to sell truth, if you're trying to point to here's the truth: we blacks went through four centuries of oppression. You go through that. You when you come out of it finally, as we did in the '60s, you're going to be underdeveloped. They didn't have Harvards for us. Uh, Back in the days of segregation, we 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 could not dealt, that that was our big liability when we walked into freedom, when we stepped into freedom, is that we needed desperately development, education, economic development. We needed to join America, become a part of the great American experiment, and and find parity with all other groups. That's what we needed. What do we? We were so drunk on our power as victims that we, to this day, 60 years later, cling to that victimization, and we hate any minorities who don't. If you don't claim to cling to your victimization, you're an Uncle Tom, and that's the end of that's the end of you. You're you're canceled. Um, so we're we're uh, we're in a terror. The, 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 again, the people who think. They are helping blacks, are simply recolonizing blacks, and now blacks live and and sort of facilitate white innocence, uh, rather than actually move ahead on their own and become independent individuals uh, functioning in a free society. We're, we're we don't have the the cultural history. We never had to deal with freedom when we were oppressed. Now we do. Freedom is our biggest problem now, not racism. Racism is so far down on the list, it's, it means nothing. We're afraid of freedom. We don't know what to do with freedom, how to, how to live in it, how to make it work for us. That's, where, that's our real-world challenge. Uh, and, again, uh, whites who, who are longing for their innocence and rolling over for for black victims, they are—they now are the enemy because they—they they diminish us to nothing but, but sort of icons that facilitate their innocence and their power, uh, all over again. Uh, I guess I guess history, <laughs> history does repeat itself in that sense. So you talked about working in the social welfare system, and obviously in the 1960s there was a real push for a sort of racial reparation via social welfare programs and the Great Society programs. Uh, the idea expressed by LBJ is that, well, now the the sort of barriers had been removed. Uh, if you had all of the runners at the start line and one of the runners was 20 yards behind the start line, that somehow we had to find a way to get the person 20 yards behind the start line up to the start line. That's what the social welfare programs were for. Uh, but it seems like in many ways, the social welfare programs actually inhibited the ability for that runner to ever catch up. And there have been a lot of minority groups in the United States who have started off 20 yards behind the start line compared to white America. Many of those minority groups now routinely outperform white Americans in terms of income, including many groups of African immigrants, Nigerian Americans, for example, outperform 
white Americans in terms of, of income. So maybe you can talk a little bit about social welfare programs. Were they, was it just well-intentioned and went wrong? Or uh, was it, uh, what exactly happened with the social welfare programs? Why didn't it help achieve this? Very specifically, what happened was because whites were longing for their innocence, what whites did was literally steal away from black people agency over their own fate, over their own lives. LBJ said, put your life in my hands. I will give you an upward bound program. I will expand welfare payments. I will have school busing. I will have public housing, on and on. I am the actor. I am the agent of your uplift, of your fate. Not you. You are nothing but a sort of uh, cipher for uh, my innocence. We, we blacks, hitting, not quite knowing how to handle freedom yet, bought into that and sold our soul away. We put agency, we said, okay, you be the agent of my uplift. You, you're right, you did commit, you were ugly, you were racist, so forth. So now you can redeem yourself by uplifting me. Well, when you look at that, you're giving away agency to your own uplift. You're putting it in somebody else's hands. When, in all of human history, has that ever worked? You don't give up agency and then think you're going to somehow miraculously get... Get ahead. You want agency. You, we, here's what we should have said. We should have said to white America and to Lyndon Johnson, thank you, but no thanks. You worry about your innocence. We'll worry about our development. We'll focus as individuals. We will become better educated than you. We will outcompete you. We don't want your help. We have our own honor, our own sense of dignity, our own self-possession. We failed to do that. Uh, the indiv- many, 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 and I mean many individual blacks did do that. And they are doing, they are thriving today. And we see them everywhere in every walk of life, making the point that if one wants to really take charge of one's fate and move ahead, you're free to do that today in America. You can become literally the president if that's what you want to do. You can become the CEO of a major corporation. You can become an artist. You can become a veterinarian. You can do whatever you want. Uh, And the government will will never, ever, under any circumstances, be able to to do that for you. It's a a kind of sick, again, symbiotic bond between that, that came out of this great confession uh, in, in the 60s. And, and both groups got blinded and made a very a quick, down and dirty deal. That's why I think of Lyndon Johnson's Great Society as a down and dirty deal. He said, basically, I need the, uh, I need the, the innocence to, to, uh, to have legitimacy as the president and keep legit, keep the government legitimate and so forth. I need that. So I don't, I'm going to give you all these programs, even though uh, they don't do anything whatsoever, but, but teach you corruption, embroil you in corruption. 
I worked in those programs for three years. Uh, I've never seen so much corruption in my life. It was just wide open. You have to fight for your life. I had to get out of there or sink into that. Uh, and I'm, I was lucky. I was very lucky. I had two good parents and talked a lot and finally found my way uh, out of there. Um, yeah, but that's what we, 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 we now have to do. We have to get away from that. We have to get away from our symbiotic relationship to white people. Uh, I don't want to have a, any, I want to be a human being. I want to be a citizen of the United States. I want to relate to all other human citizens. What your race is, I don't care. So let's talk for a second about why it is that, that so many, you mentioned there's so many prominent black Americans with wild levels of success. There's so many black Americans who are middle class and above. I know that the, the media tend to portray only you know, poverty and, uh, and suffering in the black community. Uh, you, you hear politicians routinely talk about how to be black in America means to suffer in America as though the average income for a black household in the United States isn't $58,000 or as though the vast majority of, of black Americans are living in abject poverty, which simply isn't true. Um, why is it that, that we don't see more black Americans saying exactly what you're saying, which is, I've been able to make my way in this society. If you make the right decisions, you can make your way in this society too. Instead, it seems like with increased levels of prominence, uh, many black Americans speak out more loudly about how America is, is racist. Right. We've mentioned Nicole Hannah-Jones several times. I mean, this is a person who went to a top university. She obviously has been granted the keys to the car over at The New York Times. You Karen Atia at The Washington Post, who's the daughter of African immigrants doing the same thing. Uh, you see people at the top of the of the entertainment industry. LeBron James does this, making hundreds of millions of dollars uh, per year. Now, Barack Obama became president of the United States and then suggested that America was still struggling with systemic racism and uh, and made comments about Ferguson, Missouri, which we'll discuss in a second. Uh, that at the time I, I, I thought to myself, he's literally ignoring the facts of the case in order to make these particular comments. So why is it that we don't see more prominent black Americans say what, what so many prominent members of other minority races in America say to their kids and to their compatriots, which is what a great country and we can absolutely rise in this country. The reason is they don't believe in themselves. They don't believe in black people. I believe in black people. I believe they should be. They should do exactly what you what you just said. What you're talking about. Um, that's our only future. You only you only get what you make for yourself. Uh, you you uh, the the. That's the obligation of freedom is you have to make something of yourself. But they simply one of the problems in Black American life. This comes from four centuries of oppression. Is faithlessness in your group. Your group was oppressed. The, 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 somebody's heel was on their neck. They were de de denigrated. They were dehumanized. Um, and part of the of formerly oppressed person's struggle is to have faith in precisely those people, one's own people, who come from all of that, to love them and have faith in them. The biggest problem in black America is faithlessness. We don't believe in ourselves. We don't believe we'll be able to compete. We, all of the ugly bigotries of, of the white past, 
We, on some secret level, where we don't admit it to ourselves even, believe that and don't and 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 therefore lack the faith to take our lives into our own hands and make something and make a life. We say to protect ourselves, that's a fool's game. This is a racist world, a racist society. That's to work hard and and uh, so that's uh, that's a, that's for fools. That in a white man, that's those are Uncle Toms. White man always has a, you know believes in them. Uh, well, you know we have to face this problem of faithlessness, and we have to raise our children ready. We have we have to completely. Um, are you reading to your children? Are you teaching them? Are you developing them intellectually? Are you develop, developing them uh, their academic skills, their, their interpersonal skills, the values? Are you building strong, independent people who will be able to be responsible for their own advancement? Are you doing that? If you're not, you're worse than, than racism. You're contributing to a life of inferiority and struggle. We have it backwards. Uh, and um, it, 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 it's, it is heartbreaking. We, 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 another problem is that we live in such an absolutely wealthy society. Society is, can give us all. The figure I keep hearing is the last 50 years that America spent $22, $23 trillion on social programs. That's a lot of bait to tempt me away from this, this more rigorous self-development and into the idea that I can manipulate, maneuver, game my way ahead, and so forth. In a wealthy society, you can do that. Um, and America will, has got the wealth to continue to dump it on uh, people. As you said, Amazon, $10 million, they wake up and and uh, give, it, give that away. Well, I'm on the wrong side of the fence. I didn't get any of that, not a dime. They canceled me. <laughs> so let's talk about that in just one second. I want to ask you about the documentary, What Killed Michael Brown, that is going to be available somewhere, but apparently not Amazon. We'll get to that in just one second. But first, let's talk about censorship on social media sites and what you can do about it. The left wants to silence and remove any voices they don't like. Twitter and Facebook, these were supposed to be open platforms. I don't need their content moderators acting like the op-ed section of the New York Times. Instead of letting those social media sites revoke your right to free speech, how about revoking their right to your data? Now, you could just deactivate all your social media accounts, but that would be giving the left just what they wanted in the first place. Instead, use ExpressVPN the way I do. If you've ever wondered how free-to-access sites like Facebook make their money, well, they track your searches, video history, everything you click on, and then they sell your valuable data. When you use ExpressVPN, you anonymize much of your online presence by hiding that IP address. That makes your activity more difficult to trace and sell to advertisers. And ExpressVPN could not be easier to set up. You just tap one button on your phone or computer, and you're now protected. ExpressVPN also encrypts 100% of your data to help protect you from hackers and internet bad guys. So now is the time to say no to censorship. Take back your online privacy today at expressvpn.com ben. By visiting my special link, you get an extra three months of ExpressVPN service for free. Again, that's expressvpn.com ben. expressvpn.com ben to get started. Okay, so you've now referred to this documentary that you made, What Killed Michael Brown. I had a chance to watch a large segment of it uh, last night. It is, you know, incredibly incisive and, uh, and emotionally devastating. 
um, because it, it really does take on some very serious issues. So what was the impetus behind making a documentary about the uh, Michael Brown shooting? We wanted to debunk this idea of victimization as power. Uh, Michael Brown, the, the reason Michael Brown would become so explosive and, and uh, more recently here, George Floyd and so forth and others, the reason these events become so explosive is because they represent, they seem to morally give moral authority to blacks as victims. They seem to reinforce our whole black pathology, which sees victimization as our great power. And my God, a white cop with a shoots and kills a black teenager. Uh, there it is. That's that's four centuries of racism right there. You owe me. And I will give, grant you your innocence, but you'll have to pay for it. So all of a sudden, everybody, the president of the United States, the attorney general of the United States, everybody is in Ferguson, Missouri, uh, anguishing over the, the, the shooting of Michael Brown, black, black teenager. Well, they're there because it just, it just flows over with black power. If, he, if Michael Brown was really shot and killed out of a racial, racial animus, then think of all the power that redounds then to all of black America. We can, well, we can just sort of work that, we can work that angle for 10 more years. Uh, and so all of these events like this, George, uh, George Floyd, so forth, they're all, they're all this sort of, this temptation, this, this uh, we, everybody knows power is to be had in these events. Who's gonna get the power? And of course, blacks are, uh, here it is, we've now had 60 years of, of victimization being our primary source of power. And so uh, anyway, we wanted, to, we wanted to go in and show exactly that corruption uh, and, and point to some of the damage that's done. And then we wanted to look toward the end of the film at some positive uh, activities that are going on in the black community. There are people doing some miraculous work. We interviewed a pastor in, uh, uh, who uh, has his church right in the, in the Woodlawn area, the south side of Chicago, where the murder rate is over the, over the roof. Um, we talked to former, former drug dealers. Um, we, we, uh, uh, we looked at, at public housing. We, we looked at all, again, the offshoots of this sort of thing, and with the, with the, to try to point the way uh, ahead, and uh, I, I, I particularly like the, uh, the end of the film where, where we, I go back to my ch my father's childhood uh, home in Kentucky, and uh, we, and I remember reminisce of these people. My grandfather was actually born a slave. Not my great grandfather, my literal grandfather, uh, was actually born a slave, and 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 they uh, uh, came forward in Camp Nelson, Kentucky, and uh, my father, how he, uh, from the age of fourteen on, was on his own and had to make his way in the world and teach himself to read and write, and and uh, uh, so I wanted to honor that selfless struggle on the part of black Americans, our greatness comes from those people. They did it. They didn't go around begging for white goodwill. 
They all they wanted was don't discriminate against me. I don't want the, any. My father hated the idea of public housing. Thought it was just a ticket to hell. Um, he could see that coming, and many other blacks in our neighborhood did, and it, and we rejected it. Uh, but that white guilt is 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 hard to. Maybe they rejected it, but do their kids? Pretty soon they be, they begin to be bought off one by one by one by one. Here's an easier road for you. <clears throat> and you look up and you're in you're in uh, under the under the power of of people who are look who it's the problem with white guilt social programs that look out after white power white power white innocence and white power uh, and you become just again a, a cipher a means to that end at the end of the film we try to really get into that and. I think have some some fairly, some moving moments. At least they were moving to me when, when we filmed them. And so now you found out that uh, what Amazon won't even offer the film for for sale. Is that is that where nope. things are right now? The, they uh, sent us a, a letter uh, that said not only will we not do it, but don't try to resubmit it. Don't change the title. Don't do anything. We don't want it ever. So there was, as, as to make a, a statement, certain friends of mine have been canceled uh, from Twitter. Um, think tanks are rearranging themselves. Uh, and there's, some, again, we've got this, uh, this whole fun- canceling phenomenon that, that uh, I'm going to cancel evil. I'm going to cancel uh, the, some perniciousness. Uh, and in the name of the good. Well, what is, what's the good to, to Amazon? The good is Black, Black Lives Matter, which is a, well, I'm not going to waste time getting into to what they are, but, but I, I think they're completely on the wrong track. They, they will keep us mired, celebrating ourselves as victims forevermore. Well, so now I'm going to ask you to go on the wrong track there and uh, and actually describe what you think of, of the Black Lives Matter movement, because obviously it has had this massive impact on our politics. And we've seen corporations going woke across the country. We've seen the NBA decide to dedicate entire uh, sidelines on national broadcasts to their sloganeering, changing the jerseys on the on the back of the jerseys so you can put uh, the names of people who have allegedly been unjustly killed by the police. Uh, you've seen every major politician pay lip service to Black Lives Matter, uh, which is a semantically overloaded phrase. I mean, it can mean a few things. One, the obviously true statement that Black Lives Matter, because they do. Uh, it can mean the movement, which is the assumption that America is systemically racist and that black Americans are at unique risk of being murdered in the United States, which uh, is certainly not true from the police. It may be true statistically, but it really has very little to do with white Americans doing the murdering, unfortunately. Uh, and uh, and then it could mean the Black Lives Matter organization, which is actually just a neo-Marxist front group. Um, but I, I want to get your thoughts on Black Lives Matter, which, again, has become this sort of tautological statement, and you have to say it. And if you don't say it, uh, then this obviously means that you're a racist. Well, they break my heart. They, they first of all, make me sad um, to have lived through what I've lived through and to see uh, what Black America has stood for and fought for uh, and I think of my father's generation and, and, and earlier uh, men and women who survived the most horrific sort of oppression, 
violent, murderous oppression for centuries. And to come to a place and, and see our young people using that history of victimization to hide away from the challenges of freedom that we face today. It's heartbreaking for somebody my age to see that. You finally got a chance to do anything you want. And you, 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 all you're going to do is vic talk about victimization? Well, when they, when they talk about systemic racism and so forth, I call it compensatory racism. It is a, a faith in racism uh, that we, we should, uh, an emphasis on, on racism, because the reality is racism has declined, radically declined. It's just not there anymore. And so we, we have to come up with new terms like systemic and structural racism and so forth to bring back that old oppression that we endured for four centuries. That's sad. We now, when we bring that back, we say, now we know who we really are as black people. That's not who we really were. We were the people who fought for freedom and finally won it. But we don't get credit for that. Uh, we don't give ourselves credit for that. We, we whine. We want, we want whites to give us more junk. And of course, they're rich and they can do that. And they do do that. Um, and, then, and so then we're inflated in our illusions. And we think, uh, you know, we think people like me, for example, are, are just hopeless uh, over-the-hill Uncle Toms. Um, well, I, it's, it's, again, it's heartbreaking. It's sad, to, it's sad to see young people sell themselves out that way, to, to exhibit that level of faithlessness in their own abilities to develop and, and overcome. I want to see them, see what you, I always ask them, well, what's your grade point average? What are you doing to develop yourself? Black students have the highest dropout rate and the lowest grade point average of any student group in America after 50 years of affirmative action. Uh, we, 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 we now uh, have a bill to pay. We're going to have to pay, pay this bill. And, uh, you know, I don't know what generation will, will finally get there, but at some point, whites are going to turn around and say, you, you got, we're, we're done. We're not enabling you anymore. Enabling black people is, has, has become an American habit, a reflex um, that, that we do again because we just keep needing, wanting this innocence, uh, wanting the power that comes from the legitimacy that comes from, uh, from being innocent, uh, demonstrably innocent of racism. So we'll give you, the, give you more preferences, give you this, give you, give you, give you, uh, as you sink, as you, as you sink into this faithlessness uh, in yourself. Well, as you can see, it's kind of a stalemate uh, uh, that we've got going on here. I'm not sure how it will break. I know it will at some point, but I hope soon sooner than later. In a second, I want to ask you about your opinion of the Obama administration, because obviously we've had a black president for two terms, won two overwhelming victories. And I think, you know, entered office with high hopes by most Americans that this was going to be 
maybe the final stage in the transition away from thinking racially in the country. I mean, he, he sort of campaigned as we're not red states, we're not blue states, we're the United States. I'm both I'm both black and white, obviously, in my, in my own ancestry. Now, I can bring the country together. It didn't end up that way. I want to get your assessment of the Obama administration, of, of Barack and now Michelle, who's obviously a very prominent political figure in her own right, uh, in one second. First, I have to tell you, the amazing presidential election is almost here. We have an incredible day of programming for you. Our live stream starts on Tuesday, November 3rd at 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 p.m. Pacific, featuring special guests, live interviews, and more. Leading up to our evening show, we'll be covering the results with you in real time. It's going to be spectacular and exciting. Even better, join Daily Wire right now. Get 25% off with code ELECTION, so you can watch all of our election coverage live on our Apple TV or Roku app. Members, get our articles ad-free, access to all of our live broadcasts and show library, the full three hours of The Ben Shapiro Show, and exclusive Reader's Pass content available only to Daily Wire members. If you're considering an all-access membership, you get to join us on All Access Live every night for online and live stream discussions with our hosts and an amazing online community. You also get not one, but two Leftist Tears tumblers with your membership, as well as early and sometimes exclusive access to new Daily Wire products. So watch the election with us at dailywire.com. Get 25% off your Daily Wire membership with code election when you sign up today. Alrighty, so let's talk about the Obama administration and Barack Obama uh, as I say, for, for everybody, even people like me who did not vote for Barack Obama, I thought that he was a, a bad candidate. Uh, I thought that he would be of the radical left politically. Um, you know, I, I thought that he basically campaigned on a bunch of warm Dover sloganeering. Um, but even for folks like me who didn't vote for Barack Obama, didn't back him, uh, it was obviously a, an inspiring thing for the United States, which is a majority white country, to elect a black president after our history of slavery and Jim Crow, like just the, that symbol is an inspiring thing. Uh, it didn't appear to, to end that way. You look at the polls of race relations, they really markedly declined during the Obama administration, even preceding the Trump administration. Uh, what do you make of, of the Obama administration, of Barack Obama as a, as a figure, and now Michelle Obama, who's widely perceived to be the, maybe the future of the Democratic Party? Barack Obama was a, was a, um, a perfect sort of white fantasy. And he was elected uh, entirely, I think, entirely, because he was black. America, and, and he was, as Joe Biden once said, uh, he was clean. I guess he showers every day, and he spoke eloquent uh, English. And so he was, he was, in other words, he was innocuous. He had no vision for the country that he ever articulated. Uh, no set of policies, coherent policies that would reflect some, some important vision for the country. He just was a nice white, a black kid who, who uh, white people realized on some level wouldn't do much of anything except be black and be in the White House so that white America could say we're innocent of racism. We are redeemed. This is our redemption. And so it was, he was, Obama was just a small player in a white self-promotional sort of historical event. Um, that's all he was. Again, he, he couldn't tell you today what his vision was for, for society, nor could all the white people who voted for him. They don't know what he stood for. No, but he didn't stand for anything. That's the, again, that's the point. And he, he didn't get away, get in the way of his message, 
which is that I'm I'm a, a, a black person who's going to be in the uh, the the most powerful man uh, in the world, and that's how innocent America is. That's how wonderful America is racially. They've overcome that shameful history of slavery and so forth, and now they have a black man in the White House. Aren't they very? Aren't they wonderful? What did it mean in reality? Is are black somehow? Uh, more equal today than they were before? Uh, have they somehow caught up with whites in, in, uh, economically, educationally, otherwise? No. Nothing. Uh, except that whites, whites can say, we, we're innocent of racism. We, we uh, elected a black, a black president. So, I mean, I, I think he has to be seen uh, in, in the context of white guilt. He's, he's a white guilt president, uh, uh, beginning and the end. And Michelle, same, I don't see, I don't see much difference there. They, 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 that's the game they both play. Um, just a little bit uh, every now and then of edginess around the race issue, just to keep their bona fides with, <laughs> with, with militant blacks. But no leadership. No sense of, of what ails black America, how it has to be overcome. None of that. So now I want to ask you your opinion of the, uh, of the Trump administration. There's been a lot of talk about racism uh, surrounding President Trump and uh, the supposed innate racism of the American people uh, in, in electing Trump in 2016. Uh, Joe Biden has suggested that he's running almost entirely to repudiate Trump's personal Racism. What What do you make of, of Trump as a figure, Trump's election, uh, and uh, and the Trump administration? I think that Trump is pretty much what he claims to be. Uh, you know, he's he he wants to fix things. He's a kind of Mister Fix It president, and he does. He's fixed uh, any number of any number of things, but he has no he has no uh, he is vulnerable because the left in America. Uh, is is driven by white guilt, defined by white guilt, and and you could that couldn't be farther away from where Donald Trump is. He just is not in this sort of the he he offers no innocence to white America, uh, and therefore he's a racist and he's a bigot and he's he's a regression to oppression and he wants and so forth and so on. Um, but the fact is, he's just a pragmatic, a pragmatic sort of unimaginative uh, president who who really does fix our trade relations uh, with the Chinese, who changes. Look at what he's done in the Middle East. Uh, really marvelous, marvelous things that uh, the Obama administration never got close to doing. Um, but again, he he has no vision of white innocence. Uh, and that's what it, that's what the left wants today, and that's what much of America still wants today, is this this sort of white innocence, and uh, uh, so I don't know whether we we have to elect another Obama or not, but uh, at some point there will be there will be blacks who are themselves as human beings and and who represent um, the po- politics political point of view of the whole nation. In a second, I want to ask you a couple final questions, starting with whether you think that white guilt or uh, or black victimization is going to alleviate first. Which which side uh, in the sort of symbiotic racial relationship you've talked about 
uh, is going to change its behavior first. But if you actually want to hear Shelby Steele's answers, then you have to head on over to dailywire.com. You can subscribe over there and hear the end of our conversation. Well, Shelby Steele, uh, as you know, I'm a big fan of your work. People should go out, watch the documentary. They should purchase all of your books, including White Guilt. Really appreciate your time. It's been an honor. Well, it's been an honor to be here. I admi- I've admired your, you are your own man. I, I admire you. <laughs> hey, thanks so much. Appreciate it. The Ben Shapiro Show Sunday Special is produced by Mathis Glover. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. And our assistant director is Pavel Wydowski. Associate producer, Nick Sheehan. Our guests are booked by Caitlin Maynard. Editing is by Jim Nichol. Audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is by Nika Geneva. Title graphics are by Cynthia Angulo. The Ben Shapiro Show Sunday Special is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving.